0: or in Macedonia. They left out Monday evening and will be gone for a couple of weeks visiting there uh, with their son and, and daughter in law who are missionaries in Macedonia and also do some missionary work and play with the grandkids a lot while they're there. And so we want to lift up Brother Tom. I do indeed count it a privilege to be able to serve alongside a man like Brother Tom who loves the Lord and, and loves the church to which God has called him. And I know that you're going to keep him in your prayers. In the meantime, <laughs> you sort of stuck with me for a couple of weeks, all right? But I thank you uh, for letting me come and, uh, and share this morning. Uh, I've only been here six weeks, so uh, I'm still new, still learning names and faces and everything. But you've been very, very gracious to make me uh, feel welcome uh, during these six weeks. Uh, You know, a couple of weeks ago after I had preached, uh, Ro, Ro Garcia, who's normally in the back back there, the tall guy standing, uh, Ro said, have you been here before because you sound very familiar? And I said, well, Ro, I have been here. I was here a couple of years ago and preached a couple Sundays uh, for Brother Tom. And he said, I knew you had been here. He said, you know who you sound like? And I'm thinking, you know, what great preacher do I remind Roe of? You know, I'm, I'm thinking there's, you know, I, I don't know who it is, Ronnie Floyd, somebody, you know, some great preacher that I remind Roe of. He said, You sound just like Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> See, Gee, thanks, Roe. Just thanks. Now, we are kin to some of the same people because I've heard him describe his kin, folks, and he's describing mine. So I know that we're kin somewhere in there. You know, he, 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 he shares some stories sometimes of about, uh, you know, you might be a redneck. Uh, and, you know, my favorite story of a man that I would consider a redneck was a guy not from the South, but from a fella out in South Los Angeles in San Pedro, uh, California. And you might have heard this story. In fact, you can check me out on this on a, on a Wikipedia if you would like. Uh, but, but it was a man by the name of uh, Larry Walters. And Larry's dream, his goal since he was like 10 years old, was to be a pilot. And so when he grew up, graduated high school, he joined the Air Force so that he could be a pilot. But he failed the eye exam. His eyes were just not good enough for the Air Force to let him fly. And so he got out of the Air Force and became a truck driver. But as he was driving that truck there around Los Angeles, he always had in the back of his mind that dream of wanting to be a pilot. He wanted to fly. And so one day when Larry was about 33 years old, he got his girlfriend at the time to help him live out his dream. He went to the Army surplus store, and Larry got himself 45 weather balloons. He brought those weather balloons back, and he filled them up with helium. And he attached them to his lawn chair. You might remember Lawn Chair Larry as he began to became be, become known. And he had him some water bottles to use as ballast because he knew that he, that he had to have something. And, and so on the fateful day, July the 2nd, 1982, Larry and his friends were going to launch Larry's aircraft. A lawn chair... Attached to forty-five weather balloons. Now Larry had thought it out. He had with him a CB radio, in case he got into trouble. A pellet gun, a pistol pellet gun that he was going to use. When he got ready to come down, he was going to shoot the balloons one by one and slowly come back to earth. He had some sandwiches and a six-pack of Miller Lite, okay? And so he was ready to go. And so he got in his backyard... The balloons were ready. They were ready to go. And they had the the deck chair. It was sort of hovering there. And they they had it tied down to the back of Larry's Jeep. And so they cut the first rope. And when they cut the first rope, those hot air balloons took off so fast that it just snapped the other rope. They didn't have time to even cut that one. Now, in Larry's mind, he was just going to float up about 200 feet look over the neighborhood, wave at everybody, drink a beer or two and come back down. Unfortunately, Larry's ascent was much quicker than he thought it was going to be. In fact, he ascended at 1,000 feet a minute for 15 minutes. All of a sudden, Larry was 15,000 feet above the earth. And as luck would have it, the wind blew him in such a direction that he was in the airspace for the Long Beach Airport and the Los Angeles Airport. He was in restricted airspace. So when he saw planes, you know, sort of coming by, he knew he was in trouble. But he had his CB radio, and so he called on the radio, and he said, Mayday, Mayday, and it came up and said, How can we help you? And he said, Well, I have launched an unauthorized balloon launch. And I probably need help in getting down. He started shooting out the balloons with his pellet gun. And then accidentally dropped the pellet gun. So all of a sudden, he was there. But finally, the balloons began to descend until on the way down, Larry got himself caught up in some power lines, caused a small power outage in Long Beach, California, but His deck chair came to rest, his lawn chair only about five feet off the ground and Larry was able to climb down. Waiting for him were some police officers (laughs) who quickly handcuffed him and hauled him away uh, to jail for a little while. But before he left, the reporters were there and one of them stuck, uh, stuck a microphone in his face and said, Larry, why did you do this? And his response was classic. He said, Well, there comes a time when you have to do something. A man just can't sit around in his backyard all of his life. Maybe you've thought that sometimes about your Christian walk. Maybe you're thinking today, the day is a day where, you know, I really need to do something. Jesus asks us that, doesn't he? In fact, in Luke chapter 9, if you'll turn, your bio, turn with me in your Bibles there to Luke chapter 9, Jesus is going to ask his disciples to do just that, to do something. And from what the disciples did and what Jesus did, I think we can learn a little bit about what we're supposed to do as well. Luke chapter 9, verse 10, will you stand with me as we read God's word? And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he, talking about Jesus, said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And then he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of fifty. And they did so and made them all set down. And Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and twelve baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for what you did that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But Father, even more, thank you for what you do through your word as you teach us each and every day as you call us to do something and we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Out of all the miracles that Jesus performed... This is the only one that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. We we read about this feeding of the multitude in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The the setting was was one in which Jesus had just sent his disciples off on a mission, the 12 that he called apostles, and and they had come back, and, and Jesus' idea was to get all of his apostles off to themselves for a little bit of debriefing to see how things went. And so they were going out to a very deserted place and and then all of a sudden the multitudes heard where Jesus was going and they started following. At this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, He couldn't even go into a walled city because so many people were coming to hear the greatest preacher who ever lived to hear Him preach. They were coming to hear the great teacher because He taught like nobody else. He taught as one who had authority. And they were coming to, to, to see the, the great physician, and they were bringing to them the, to him the, the, the blind and the, and, and the deaf and the mute and the, and the crippled and those who were demon-possessed. They were bringing them all to Jesus that Jesus might touch them and heal them. And so the crowd got really large really quick. And Jesus began to teach. And he preached, and he taught, and he healed, and the day began to go on and on and on and on and on. And finally, the disciples, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we've got to let everybody go. We're out here in the, in the middle of nowhere. We don't have any food. We've got to let people go so they can get back into town, get something to eat, find a place to sleep. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you give them something to eat. And if we were to read John's gospel, we we find that the disciples said, well, Lord, we don't have anything. We don't have any food. We don't have any money. Even if we had any money, it would take 200 denarii just to give everybody a snack. We don't have enough because there was a multitude of people. Sometimes we refer to this as the feeding of the 5,000. But notice Luke said there were 5,000 men. If we read Matthew, Matthew's careful to point out that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So this crowd could have easily been as many as 20, 25, 30,000 people. It was a large group of people, and the disciples said, we can't feed this bunch of folks. John tells us that Andrew found a little boy who had uh, five loaves and two fish. And out of everybody that was there that day, 30,000 people, 20,000 people, whatever it was, that was all the food they had. Five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said to his disciples, now do something. Years and years ago, when I played high school football, you said, now I look at you, there's no way you played high school football. Well, I happened to play at the smallest school in the state that had a football team. It took everybody we had just to have a team, and so they let me play. And I remember one game that we were going to play, and, and we, were, uh, we were the visiting team, and we were going to play a, a much larger school, and when we got there, they were having homecoming. You know, you always schedule somebody you're pretty sure you're going to beat on homecoming. It seemed like everywhere we went, they were having homecoming. And so, so, but we got to see a lot of parades and homecoming queens and that kind of stuff. And so we got over there for that ball game, and, and uh, they were fired up. They'd had the pep rally. They had the parade. They had the homecoming queen. They were a good team anyway, and we were not very good. And so I remember the first play. Never forget it. Our quarterback, David Tyler... I took the snap, and, and he was going to do an 18 sweep, which was the quarterback running around right in down the sideline. And David ran around the right, right end, and when he got on their sideline, right in front of their bench, bang, he got hit. I mean, you could hear it for miles. He got stuck the very first play of the game. But David was tough. His daddy was a bricklayer. He'd been carrying brick and mud all his life, and he was tough. And he jumped right up and ran back to the huddle, and the play came in from the sideline, and we broke huddle, went to the line of scrimmage. Everybody but David. He was sort of still standing around back there. He wasn't with the rest of the team. So we called timeout, and the coach called us over to the sideline They said, What's wrong? Who called timeout? Something's wrong with David, coach. He said, Tyler, what's wrong? He said, Nothing, coach. I'm fine. And said, so Well, he got hit hard, coach. He, coach held up. How many fingers am I holding up? David said, four. Coach said, you're all right. Get back in there. He was the only quarterback we had. We didn't have anybody else. We back went in for the next game. The huddle broke. David's still. He's just one around. He doesn't even know to get under the center. Come to find out, David had a serious concussion. But I'll never forget, over on the sideline, we had to call timeout again, and David's walking up and down the sideline, still got his helmet on. And he said, Would somebody tell me what I'm supposed to do so I can get in there and do something? He wanted to get in the game. Isn't it amazing that sometimes in our Christian walk that that is the only place in the world that we're just sort of content to sit on the sidelines? We're sort of content to sit on the bench and and, and let somebody else play. Cheer somebody else on. Let them do it. And the, the disciples, they, they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, send them home. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They came back to Jesus, only five loaves and two fish. They still didn't know what they were going to do. And Jesus said, have them sit down in groups of 50. Once he got them all set down, he he, he took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven. He blessed it. And then he gave a basket to each of the disciples. He said, now go feed them. And when they finished feeding them, they went around and, and picked up the leftovers and the baskets were still full when they got finished. The power of God had hardly been touched. A great miracle Jesus did that day near the Sea of Galilee. But what about for you and me today? What does that teach us when God has something for us to do? Well, I believe Jesus shows us exactly what we need to do. First of all, we need to visualize. We need to get a vision of what God wants to do in us and through us and with us. You see, the disciples, they looked out and and, and they saw all of those people and they saw no food. And they thought, it's not enough. It's not enough. But Jesus, he saw the actual. He saw the same 25,000 people. He saw the same five loaves and two fish. But he knew that with the power of God that it was enough. I wonder how many times we limit God's work in our lives because of our lack of faith. Because we just want to walk by sight and not walk by faith. You know, had it been left up to the disciples, there'd be a part missing (laughs) out of Matthew, out of Mark, out of Luke, and out of John. Because their lack of faith would have sent the people home. On one occasion, you remember even when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth, the scripture says that he couldn't perform many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Because they didn't trust him. How many times do we sense God telling us to do something? And because we can't see all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, we just say, no, Lord. Send somebody else. And we limit God. In our own individual lives as as, as well as in our church. You know, sometimes it seems that the only committee that people want to be on are the cold water committee. You know, they don't want to do anything and they want to throw cold water on anything that anybody else tries to do. Sometimes the only department that folks want to be in is the complaint department. They can tell you what's wrong. Gang, anybody can tell you what's wrong. When my car won't run right, I can tell you, my car won't run right. What I need is somebody to tell me how to fix it. You see, we we don't have to spend our lives just complaining to God and telling Him what's wrong. We need to let God begin to show us the solutions, right? Anybody can look at the problems. God helps us look at the solutions. Anybody can look at the obstacles. We need God to show us the opportunities. We need to visualize what God wants to do in us and through us and with us as individuals, as our families, and and, and in our church. Because like Larry Lawn Chair, there just comes a time you just can't sit around all your life you got to do something. we got to visualize. But then once we visualize, once we know what it is that God wants us to do, notice what Jesus did. He organized. He had a multitude there. Can you imagine 25,000 people hadn't eaten all day? And all of a sudden, you send those poor 12 disciples out there with baskets of food. (laughs) They would have gotten run over, right? Trampled under. But Jesus said, no, first of all, have them sit down in groups of 50. He took that multitude and he organized it into small groups. That's why the Sunday school is so important in our church. The Sunday school is the church organized. Organized. The Sunday school is a church organized for for discipleship and and Bible teaching and and, and ministry and, and outreach and evangelism and fellowship and caring and all of those things. You see, we can't do what we're supposed to do if we're just all in one big group. But through breaking everybody down into smaller groups, then we make sure that not only does everybody have an opportunity to be ministered to, but everybody has the opportunity to minister. Sunday school is so important in our church. And Jesus set that example. He said, have them sit down in groups of 50. But then Jesus did something else. He took those five loaves and two fish, and he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. He prayed. And the power of God was exercised through him and and he did a wonderful miracle. You see, as we we organize, we can't leave out the most important part, right? Prayer. If we were to read on to, to verse 18, Jesus is about to go by himself and spend time in prayer. If Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? Individually and as a church, You know, so many times if we're not careful, even as churches, we can just try to figure out the next great event that we can have. And then we wonder why there's no power. Our power comes through prayer. Our power comes from spending time on our knees alone with God. It may be a time when some of us need to quit playing so much and start praying more. So that the power of God, if we don't, we're just an endless source of activities with no power. I think one of the reasons that so many people are tired and worn out and burned out is we're doing too much stuff and too little prayer. Jesus prayed so that the power of God would be evident. Because as we visualize and organize, we get his his power, but also we get his perspective. You see, too many times what we want to do is we want to organize it and then say, okay, now God, you bless it. Like the old preacher said, God won't bless a mess. We get his perspective, we get his power, and then we do it the way that he wants it done. And so he had them sit down in groups of 50. He began to pray, and then he took each of his disciples and he gave them a basket. Now notice, Jesus could have fed that multitude any way he wanted to do it. He could have had manna come down from heaven like he did in the Old Testament. He could have had a covey of quail fly in like he did in the Old Testament. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he chose to take what they had and use them to do it. You see, a church should never say we don't have enough people or we don't have enough resources. If we do, it's because we're trusting in ourselves and we're trusting in our own resources instead of trusting in God. God will take what we have. God will take what we will make available to Him and God will use the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He took five loaves and two fish and then He took those twelve apostles and He used them to feed that multitude. Now I know this isn't biblically correct, but in, in my mind's eye, uh, I like to I I see the disciples going out with uh, those big Kentucky fried chicken buckets. You know, they got a big bucket, and, and in those buckets, God fills it up with uh, Jesus fills it up with bread and uh, with, with with fried fish and hush puppies. I mean, at least that's my mental image right there, okay? And, and even as they left, can't you imagine the disciples? thinking, well, sure, he took five loaves and two fish. He did do a miracle here, but we still only got 12 buckets. Still only have 12 baskets. We still don't have enough to feed that multitude of people. We might can feed the first couple of groups, but that's going to be it. Can't you just imagine those disciples as they've got those buckets under their arm and and they're distributing the food and, and they're getting down to the bottom of the bucket and they think, well, this is going to be it. And they look down and that bucket's full again. Man, can't you just feel the hair standing up on the back of their necks? As they feel the power and the presence of God being worked out right in their midst. And they kept on serving and they kept on serving and they kept on serving and they kept on serving. And then the scripture says when everybody had eaten all they wanted and got up, they went around and picked up the leftovers and those 12 baskets were still full. It didn't matter the size of the crowd. It was the size of the God in the crowd, right? Visualize. Organize. See, God could have fed them any way he wanted, but he chose to use the disciples. You see, God can reach and minister to our family and our friends and this city and this county and this state. He can do it any way he wants to do it, but he chose to do it through us. To let us in on it. That's why every member is called to be a minister. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. Every person who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is called by God to do something. And that involves more than just showing up and sitting on a seat. You just can't sit there. Visualize. Organize. And then I don't think I stray from the text very much when I say evangelize. And the reason I say that is because if we look back up at the beginning of chapter 9, God had just sent out the 12 apostles. At the beginning of chapter 10, He's going to send out 70. And at the end of the gospel, He's going to send out the entire church through the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He's going to send us all out. You See, it, it, it doesn't matter how wonderful our, our buildings look or how great our music is or how wonderful our programs are. If we're not going and making disciples, We're not doing what God called us to do. When we talk about doing something, it's not just thinking up something to do. It's visualizing and organizing and evangelism because that's what God's called the church to do. To share Jesus with as many people as we can. To help those who come to know Christ grow to be like Him through our small group ministries. And then to reach out and touch people. Let Jesus love people and meet needs through us. That's who we are as a church. That's what we're here to do as a church. You see, we we can all come up with reasons why we can't do what God wants us to do individually and corporately as a church. But you see the point is, is that Jesus, he has a plan for every one of us. He has a plan for his church. You know, nothing around us has taken God by surprise. And yet God in his divine providence and his ultimate wisdom, he's got Indian Springs Baptist Church planted right in the middle of everything. Right where God wants us. And he's going to take the things that he's blessed us with and the people that he's placed in the body here and he's going to use us to fulfill his great commission until he comes back. Would you bow your head just a moment? Maybe there's something in your life